the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program, Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God, and um, we talk about the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about world views. We talk about world religions. We contrast and compare world religions. But if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. And sitting in the producer's chair is our good friend, Geronimo. Geronimo, welcome to the program, and thanks for producing today. Thank you. Always good to fill in for Jim and sit with Gino. Always. Yes. And so, again, we're inviting you to call 303-873-1935. It's easy to do. You just pick up that phone, you dial the number, and uh, Geronimo will ask you, hey, what's your question for Gino or what comment would you like to make? And, of course, this is the program where we also talk about the past. We, I pay a great deal of attention to history. And then we talk about the future, which includes the topic of prophecy. But in the Bible, prophecy isn't always simply telling the future. Sometimes prophecy means telling the truth. And I can talk a little bit more about that as well. But if you'd like to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. And um, to that question, aren't all religions basically the same? And um, there's several key distinctions that authors and, and Bible scholars have pointed out how historical biblical Christianity is a little bit different, is different from other world religions. And so when people say, well, aren't religions basically saying the same thing? Um, And if you pay close enough attention to the major teachings of Christianity and other world religions, aren't they basically saying the same thing about how to be a better person and how to live a better life? But the way that I would answer that question is, Clearly, there are certain things that world religions seem to share in common, at least some sort of um, some sort of interpretation or application of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I will focus on that a little bit later on as we talk about some of the the distinctions and the differences. And the way that I would answer that question, in part, is that Christianity has a distinctive view of God. Now, obviously, there's several different views of God. One of the views of God is atheism, that there is no God. 
Um, another view is agnosticism, not sure about God. Another view is polytheism, many gods. Uh, one is pantheism, that everything is God, which also means that nothing is God. And then panentheism, which means that God is in certain things. And then there is the view that um, theism or deism, that there is a God, but whether the God is personal or impersonal, different people have different views. So Christianity has a distinctive view of God in what sense? The Bible teaches that God is a personal being and an absolute being. And so imagine there are many people who don't believe that God is a personal being or an absolute being. That means a self-existent being. There are religions that teach about God as, or, or they hold to some view of God, but their view of God isn't as a personal being who can relate to people in a personal way or um, that God isn't an absolute being, that he's somehow limited in some way. And historical biblical Christianity, according to the New Testament, teaches that God is both personal and absolute. So again, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And Christianity also teaches that God is both transcendent, that means he is above and over his creation, but he is also imminent. Now, when you hear those words transcendent and imminent, it, imminent simply means that he is personally involved within his creation. And so the idea of, of God being transcendent outside of creation and imminent, that means able to interact with the creation in a, in a meaningful way. That's the word I'm going to use, a meaningful way. And, of course, one of the most distinctive Christian teachings about God is that God is triune, that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who exists together in an eternal love relationship, an eternal relationship of self-glorification. And that's a very distinctive and important aspect of the Christian's view of God. And so, but you can imagine there are some people who self-identify as Christians, but they deny this Trinitarian doctrine. Um, so there's varying views of what kind of God is God. But a another important thing about Christianity that's different from other religions isn't simply that Christianity has a distinctive view of God. Christianity also has what scholars call a distinctive view of revelation. In other words, how God has revealed himself in a way that is, dare I use the term, objective, accessible, publicly accessible, in an authoritative way. So people who embrace Christianity believe 
that God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And so when we talk about the scriptures, we mean that revelation that consists of the Old Testament books and the New Testament books. And so people who embrace historical biblical Christianity believe that those testaments are the very word of God. And that is a distinctive teaching of Christianity, that God has revealed himself in the scripture. But secondly, God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ in a historical fashion, that God, this God, this transcendent and eminent God has come and lives among us in the person of Jesus, who is the incarnate son of God. And that's a uniquely and hugely important aspect of the Christian faith. Now, it's really interesting that um, obviously many people around the world celebrate Christmas. They, they might celebrate it for very different reasons, but for the person who is a Christian, they celebrate it as that distinctive point of revelation where God takes on a second nature, a human nature, and lives among us. There's one other distinctive view that I want to bring to your attention, but I'll talk more about that when we come back. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number, if you'd like to call me, is 303-873-1935. Happy, happy to take your call at 303-873-1935. I was talking a little bit about the concept of aren't all religions basically the same? And for people who say that, and what what I would, maybe if you're a Christian and you've had a friend who've asked you that question, well, you know, aren't religions all basically the same? I think it's okay for you to remind them that there are certain things that we seem to share in common with other quote-unquote religious worldviews. But Christianity is distinct. Christianity has a distinctive view of God. In other words, what kind of God is God? And I pointed out that Christians believe God is transcendent, above his creation, and imminent. That means intimately and personally involved with his creation. And then Christianity has a distinctive view of revelation. That is, Christianity believes and teaches that God has revealed himself in an objective, publicly accessible, authoritative way, that God has revealed himself in the scripture. And so it's a whole different uh, talk, if you will, or conversation about how we think about the origin and the preservation of the scripture and why the scripture is a revelation of God. And of course, we believe that Jesus Christ, that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus in a historical fashion. So the third thing that I would point out is that not only does Christianity have a different, a distinctive view of God, a distinctive view of revelation, but also Christianity has a distinctive view 
of salvation. A lot of religions teach that human beings have a problem and that 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 in order to be saved from that problem, they, they talk about salvation, whether the problem is an issue of ignorance and you need the right information or whether or not the problem is some other kind of problem, that people aren't treating each other right or whatever. But in historical biblical Christianity... One of its distinctive views is the idea of salvation, the teaching about grace, and that salvation is by grace alone. Now, again, this brings us to what we might call a different category of a distinction. So imagine, I'm going to suggest to you that that, uh, Christianity has, because of its distinct view of God and its distinct view of revelation, that in that distinct view of revelation, it tells us a little bit about the problem that humanity faces, sin and estrangement from God, and that salvation is by grace alone. Whereas other religions teach that you can do certain things to obtain a favorable relationship with God. There are certain things that you can believe or do that will procure eternal life. But Christianity is unique in teaching that salvation is by grace and by faith alone. It's not about what we do. It's about what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. So in the end, what is distinctive about Christianity is that it really has a gospel, good news. It has a message. And the good news is that although we need salvation, we can't save ourselves. but God has done something. God has made a gracious way for salvation if we'll trust in the Lord. And so... There's a lot that we could talk about as far as these distinctions go. But um, the number is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. At ChristianHeadlines.com, um, Jeremiah Johnston, Jeremiah Johnston, who's the president of Christian Thinkers Society, has an article posted um, about how Christ has changed the overall worldview of most people, even in the modern culture. And he writes about this impact. Uh, D. James Kennedy wrote a book, a whole book, about how the world would be different if there were no incarnation, if there were no Jesus, if there was no um, gospel, if you will. And so... Thanks to Jesus, most of the people in the world believe in a singular God. Now, we might look to our um, Muslim friends. They believe in a singular God. The Jewish people believe in a singular God. But remember, I was talking earlier about the distinctive of historical biblical Christianity This singular God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Most of the pre-Christian world 
was polytheistic, the idea that there were many gods. And even though many people in the world may not necessarily embrace Jesus as their Lord, um, they do understand and appreciate the significance of this person and are aware of his teachings and um, that much of the world has been Christianized to some extent. And so somebody might argue that's a good thing, and other people might argue that's a bad thing. Um, Our atheist friends are fond of thinking about religions in general and, and Christianity specifically as being ridiculous or as Bill Maher would say, religious. <laughs> so why did Christianity attract such an incredible following so quickly? And Jeremiah Johnston writes that he believes that Christianity spread rapidly for two main reasons. The, the first being that Christians embraced the God of Abraham, that is the God of the Jewish people, and that pagans were sensing that Jewish monotheism made more sense than pagan polytheism. And then the second was this unique message, the message of the resurrection, that this Jesus who came into the world, that he lived, that he died, that he came back to life. And then there was credible eyewitness testimony to support that. And it provided the world with a sense of assurance that salvation and life beyond the world was real. That it wasn't something that you simply had to hope for or think that maybe if everything goes right, it's a good thing. But Jesus does something remarkable. He comes back to life and he stays alive. And so that message, the message that God raised Jesus from the dead literally changed everything. It changed everything for an observant Jew named Saul, who's known in history as Paul. And then it changes the way so many people think. And so another thing that Jeremiah Johnston points out in his article, 10 Ways Christianity Has Made the World a Better Place, he he talks about that, that, again, the presentation of a God who loves you instead of a God who's vengeful or full of wrath in this sense. Now, again, Jeremiah Johnson is careful to remind people that this just God will in fact deal justly with sin and transgression, but that this God is full of compassion and is and and love and has found a way to save human beings so you can imagine in most pagan cultures they believed that the gods if they felt anything if they felt anything about human beings it wasn't compassion there might be some gods who were jealous of human beings because they were beautiful or gifted or whatever but the gods of the pagans were petty as they were represented in pagan mythology, 
easily offended and vengeful. Sounds like the Democratic Party. Huh? Petty, easily offended and vengeful. No, I'm just kidding. That, well, but, it, but again, you know, for people who make politics an idol, you become like the God you serve. The gods were deceitful. They couldn't be trusted. And then you enter the picture of Jesus and everything changes. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. And, you know, I've been talking a little bit about... um, the distinctives of, you know, what makes Christianity different from other religions. And uh, producer Geronimo pointed out that a caller called in, and my pal Skip Heitzig before this program was pointing out the fact of predictive prophecy. And I think that that is another distinctive of Christianity and historical biblical uh, Judaism and Christianity, because you have prophecies, uh, predictive prophecies. Now, uh, there are other religions that might make prophecies, and I think it's we could even concede that have people actually predicted stuff and it came true. I think that examples might be given, but it seems to me that the vast majority of so-called prophecies made by non-Christian groups have failed to materialize. I think it's even safe to say that certain people who identify as Christians and have made prophetic pronouncements that they said was in the name of God turned out to be a tragic um, mistake. You can go back to the second election where so-called Christian teachers were prophesying that Trump would be reelected, that God told them that Trump would be reelected and didn't come true. Or um, people talking about 88 reasons why Jesus will come in 1988, and it turns out to be bogus. And then he writes a new book, the guy uh, writes his name was Edgar, ironically, wise not, <laughs> not so wise. He writes a new book in 89. What's interesting to me is that human beings actually bought the book. So how is it different when we talk about biblical prophecy? And the way that I would answer that is biblical prophecy plays two roles. There is a sense in which it foretells the future, and there is a sense in which it explains future events. So the way that I would think about this, in part, is that the Bible is unique. About one-third of it is prophecy, And so it speaks of prophecies concerning Jesus, how a Messiah is going to become, how he's going to be the offspring of Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Judah, and then David, and that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And Isaiah says he's going to be born of a virgin. And so prophecy 
in part, there's certain prophecies that foretell the future and then explain what the positive or the negative results of the future events will be. So prophecy can announce events that bring joy, but sometimes fear. So when prophecy is ignored, it usually becomes, it's because the hearers don't like what's being said. So ancient Jewish prophets would would prophesy that if the nation of Israel didn't do what God asked them to do, that there would be a terrible, terrible consequence. And um, and sure enough, that's what happened. Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesied that uh, God would carry the children of Israel into captivity. And so people wonder whether or not the prophecies in the Bible are dependable and trustworthy. And so, again, when we think of true biblical prophecy, it's always accurate. It's always precise. And what God prophesies always occurs. So the prophecy of the flood in Genesis 6 is is an example. God explains his reasons for the flood, gives specific instructions to Noah to build the ark to preserve life, and then produces the first great global catastrophic catastrophe. Talk about climate change. Afterwards, God prophesied that he would never flood the whole earth again, Genesis chapter 9. So again, you have to be very specific. Does the the Bible prophesy that God's not, is ever going to, is there ever going to be a flood again? Oh yeah, there'll be a flood. <clears throat> but will there ever be a, a global flood that results in the extinction of human life on the planet earth. No. In Genesis nine, the Lord says, this is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you, every living creature that's with you. And for all future generations, I've set my bow in the cloud and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. In other words, it's God's way of saying, when you see a rainbow, this is me. This is a gentle reminder that I'm not going to destroy the planet Earth by a global flood. So he says, when I bring clouds over the Earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature. And then we think about Joseph's dreams in Genesis chapter 37. It contains prophecies that are going to come to pass in his lifetime about a regional famine. In Deuteronomy 18, God tells Moses um, in, in Deuteronomy 18, 18, he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my word in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. Now, that prophecy was a prophecy about the future Jewish Messiah. 
Christians believe that that Jewish Messiah is the Lord Jesus, that the Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And that is the way it's quoted in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. So one of the most detailed prophecies of the Messiah is given in Isaiah chapter 53, where it contains predictions of the ministry of Jesus, him being a sin bearer and suffering. And then Psalm 22 gives another prophecy of the Lord's suffering couched in a description of, of troubled time, uh, of the troubled time in King David's life. So I'm thinking about that. If I think about all of the worldviews and all of the things that the different worldviews have, there's, there seems to be a commonality in every worldview, and that is an understanding that something has gone wrong, that something has gone wrong and that it brings about pain and suffering. And by the way, I'm no stranger to that. I understand about pain and suffering, especially joint pain. And by the way, you can make the decision right now to get lasting relief from that awful joint pain for 2024. You know what? I made the decision, unfortunately, <laughs> to have surgery on one of my knees. But you know what? Fool me once. It's not going to happen anymore. You don't have to go another year compromising because of the pain in your knees or shoulder. You can call QC Kinetics. And now QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative non-surgical pain relief. Your body has what it needs to restore and repair damaged joint tissue. And QC Kinetics can make it happen with no drugs, no surgery, no downtime. And the future of pain treatments has arrived, and QC has tens of thousands of satisfied patients all over America, people with back pain, hip pain, any pain associated with arthritis or an injury. It's not a Band-Aid. It's a revolutionary treatment that you can get yourself. Call Q QC Kinetics. Call 303 900 8986. I'll be back with more about some differences of Christianity and world religions. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. Thanks for joining me on the program. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews and world religions. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. I've been talking about some of the distinctions of Christian or distinctives of Christianity. And a caller called in and said, my friend Skip Heitzig, of course, reminded us um, in the program, I think that he was listening to the program right before this program, about prophecy. And... Um, in, in our Lord's own prophecies in Matthew chapter 24, he talked about wars and famines and earthquakes and persecutions, apostasy and betrayal, and finally of his own return. And it seems to me, I remembered Skip talking about um, Walverd. Uh, John Walverd was at our church at Calvary in Albuquerque, and he talked about um, signs of the second coming, and he talked about 
um, signless events. And Walvard referred to a signless event as the rapture, that there's no sign that precedes the rapture. It just simply happens. And he uses the illustration of Thanksgiving and Christmas, that when Christmas is coming, there are signs, stores begin to decorate. You see trees and, and lights and gifts and, and Santas. And, but that Thanksgiving is sort of just sort of creeps up on you. All of a sudden it's fall and then it's November and then it's Thanksgiving just sort of happens. Um, so when Jesus prophesied in Matthew chapter 24, about the events that will precede his own return. Most people reject what Jesus said. They imagine that if Jesus ever came once, they're they're willing to concede, some people are willing to concede that he did actually come, but they're not willing to embrace the notion that he's coming back. So this and other end-time prophecies are dependable. They're dependable as Noah's warning about the flood. There were similar predictions of, of catastrophic events still to come that are found in Second Peter in chapters 2 and 3, together with a prediction of God's intervention. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7, will the world end in a global flood? God says no. Will there be a final moment? when everything we understand ceases to exist, according to Peter, it will disappear in fire. Now, some astronomers have suggested that that's exactly what will happen, that our star has a lifetime and that it will grow larger and hotter and uh, it will be unbearable. It, you, The Earth will literally cease to exist, it will blow up. But the Bible goes one step further, that the universe itself will disappear and it will happen at God's intervention. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Christians are promised a rescue or a resurrection appointment, depending on whether or not you are dead or alive. So biblical prophecy provides us with a roadmap to the future. And so, of course, most people don't think about this as a, uh, a prophecy. But I think a, a, a case could be made that John 3.16 is prophetic. Remember, I said that prophecy can be about telling the future or it can be about telling the truth. And in John 3.16, we learn that God loves us and gave us his son. 
And surely Jesus is the author of biblical prophecy. And in John chapter 14, verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places or many rooms. The old King James translates this mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That should be a prophecy of assurance and encouragement. Jesus says that heaven is a real place and that he's going to go there and he's preparing a place for you. And the most important thing about this place isn't that the streets are made of gold or that the gates are made of pearl, but that Jesus is there. And so you can imagine, imagine that message comes into a world where people believe that if there is a God, he certainly could care less about what happens to me. And the message of the gospel is, no, he, he, all salvation that, that God has planned in this person of Jesus, it was to rescue you. And so how was the historic Jewish culture not embracing the values which Christianity brought to the table? Well, the Jewish culture at the time of Jesus drew a sharp line between the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. But can you imagine Jesus reaches out in compassion, sensitivity to non-Jews? He even made the statement that food isn't the thing that makes you impure. He says it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but it's what comes out of your heart. And those ideas were adopted by his followers, leaving Paul, for example, to declare that Jesus Christ, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Greek. So can you imagine this idea is a revolutionary idea for both Jews and for Gentiles? Now, again, when he's making the statement, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female, he's not suggesting even for a moment that there's no such thing as a Jew or a Gentile or a male or a female. He's not talking about gender conflict in the New Testament. He's simply talking about that there is a new spiritual event that takes place when people enter into a right relationship with God and Christ. And then back to the article that was written by Jeremiah Johnston at ChristianHeadlines.com. He's written an article called 10 Ways Christianity Has Made the World a Better Place. And and in, in that article, he, taught, he, he makes a statement. The regimes of Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin and Mao Zedong all had atheist roots. He asks the question, why were these men drawn to atheist thought? What an interesting question. Was Hitler an atheist, Mussolini an atheist? I think a you know a case can be made, but I'll talk more about that when we come back. This is Gino Dracy inviting you to call 
873-1935. The Lord willing and the crick don't rise. I'll be back taking your calls, answering your questions. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.